This morning, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to look at something I've, just, I've entitled this morning, Breathtaking Moments. And um, I don't know if we're going to continue this, but we might, but we may not. This may be it. Several years ago, I read a quote that just, it just grabbed hold of me. I love it. And I, 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 I traced it down. I, I ended up in, in my second book that I wrote, I used it as a, as a quote in one of the chapters at the heading. It just, I just love this quote. But I, I did everything I could to find out who said it. And all I can find is it appeared on a, a Carlton greeting card in the 1970s. Now, that's been a, it's been a long time ago. Amen. Uh, seems like yesterday. <laughs> uh, seems like yesterday. But here's the quote. Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take away our breath. I want you to just think about that for a minute. Let that settle. Life is not measured by moments. It's, it's not measured by, by breaths. But it's measured by the moments that take our breath away. Breathtaking moments are life changers. They really are. They change our lives. They're what I call defining moments. They're moments that alter our destiny. They redirect us along the path that we're headed on. More often than not, they're really divine appointments and that's, that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit, that are kind of prearranged by God. A, a divine appointment is a God-arranged encounter between you and another person. And, and really, it's a collision. How many of you have ever had, have you collided with something? Have you all seen the, the, the news video this week of the guy that robbed the store, and he took off running, he thought the door was open, and it wasn't open? I mean, he blasted through that glass, and down he went, Okay. He had a collision. I remember when we were, uh, when we were, we, our first, we had, uh, I don't know how to even put this. We loaded our truck like the Beverly Hillbillies, okay? And we had headed to, uh, to Brandon. And we were going to clean up the, the, the condos, a nice way to put it, townhouse, it would be another thing. We were, we were going to clean up the, the place we were going to be living. And it hadn't been cleaned, okay, to be honest with you probably since it was built in the 70s. And uh, we, we got there, and it was, a, it was a hectic trip, and all kinds of stuff went on. But I pulled up. We had a covered place to park. And so I pulled up and, and put it in gear, and I could see the little two-by-two two post. And I whipped that baby back. Well, I just barely hit it. Did $1,000 worth of damage. Plus, it started the day. Well, it continued the day. So, I mean, collisions... You know, collisions, we, we have collisions all the time. We have collisions. And, a, and a, 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 a divine appointment really is a collision between you and God. It usually involves somebody else, but literally it's between you and God. And that, that collision kind of propels you if you're obedient and if you listen and pay attention to it. It propels you into the destiny that God has designed for you. I don't, somebody needs to hear this this morning, but God loves you. He really does. He loves every person in this room and every person outside this room. Sometimes we forget that. But God loves us, and He loves us so much that, you know what, it, it doesn't matter what we do, have done or who we are. God loves us. And He loves us so much that He designs moments. He weaves it together. So that, so that we run head on into Him from time to time. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He cares about us. He understands everything that we've done. He understands everything that we've failed to do. But that doesn't cause Him to love us any less. God loves us, folks. God loves you. Right where you are. Right where you've been. Headed where you're going. He loves you. And yet, you know what? He also sees what we can become. He sees our potential. God has a plan and a picture 
and a destiny. You can call it whatever you want, but it's literally it's a destiny. God sees you not as what you were, but who you will be. You do understand God is not locked in time. So yet we, we have past, present, future. All of that's a part of the time and space continuum that we live in that's a part of creation. God is outside of creation. And so when God looks at creation, He sees past, present, future all at once. Now, that boggles my mind. I don't understand that. I don't have enough physics or anything else, math. I didn't do very well at that stuff. I can't explain any better than that. But He sees it all at once. And so when He looks at us, He doesn't see us necessarily in the situation that we're stuck in. He sees us in the situation that He's bringing us into. And folks, if you'll grab hold of that, it will change your life. It will change your life. He sees us in the way that He's designed us to be. And folks, He loves us. That's how much He cares for us. He loves us that much that He would design a future that fulfills not just Him, but us. How many of you realize that when you are in the center of God's will, that's the moment when you are most fulfilled? Now, we struggle trying to get what we want and do everything that that we think will make us happy. But really, when we find that balance, that balance is that place where God wants us. It's wonderful. It's it's fulfilling. And God God schedules these moments that I'm talking about, these breathtaking moments, these divine appointments through our life. They They don't just happen by chance. They don't happen haphazardly. I put it this way, they are God-scheduled. In other words, God has an appointment book for you, and He's got certain ones marked out. And guess what? You are going to collide with that moment. So you just need to get ready, okay? You just need to get ready. They're pre-planned, and He's done it with precision. Our responsibility is basically this. We're to expect them, we're to embrace them, and we're to experience them, okay? In other words, we stumble through life and we run head on into them. Okay, that, that's, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's pretty much my pattern of life. I just stumble along, case of sometimes. Now, everybody's not like that. How many of you are type A people? Come on, raise your hand, be proud of it, be loud and proud. Okay, about half of us. How many of you are the other types? <laughs> I'm the other type. The reality is, whether you're type A or, or type whatever, God has some moments for you, and you're going to stumble into it. Whether you want to or not, you're going to hit it. And when we stumble into it, folks, God uses those moments to change us. And if we'll just obey and accept the gift that He presents to us in that moment, we'll be thrilled to death. We'll be satisfied. Now, today I want to, I want to share one of these, what I call a breathtaking moment with you. And it's a, it's a divine appointment that's found in John chapter 4. And I'm not going to read all 42 verses, but I am going to read 10 of the verses here for just a minute to kind of set the context. But this divine appointment occurs when Jesus and an unnamed Samaritan woman meet at a well. It, 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 it seems like a coincidence. And on her part, she probably felt like it was, but it wasn't a coincidence. It was a God-designed moment. You see, the Gospel of John, John takes about, he takes seven different miraculous events and talks about them. Everything that John puts in his Gospel, well, you could say that about Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. The Holy Spirit guided him. But instead of, of John, John's gospel is not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. They're very similar. They run the same path. John's different. His, his are certain events. And this is an event that follows the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious Jew. He was the, was the he had hit the peak, okay? He was the man about town. He, he was the doctor of all religion in Israel. Jesus shares eternal life with him. Then he meets a Samaritan woman. And on the social scale, you don't get any lower than a Samaritan woman. And so he he goes from the highest to the low. Both of them were 
divine moments. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But it wasn't an accidental encounter. It was a collision that God predestined, really in the eternity past, before the, the world began. God knew this was going to happen. Now, I want you to read along with me. You're probably, as you read off the screen, you're going to be reading from the New American Standard. I'm going to be reading from the New Living because I grabbed the wrong Bible this morning. Okay? Listen to me. It's the same Word of God. All right? All right. If you got a thing about it, get over it. All right? John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So Jesus left Judea, and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, you need to underline that, okay? He had to go through Samaria. We'll come back and talk about that. Jesus had to, but this is not the only path. There was, okay? This is, there's a crossroads there, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But, but Scripture says he had to go through Samaria on his way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, as for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus had left Judea, because Judea's Jerusalem and that area, Bethany, all that area, because he was being, per everywhere he went, the Pharisees were, were there. Every corner he turned, there they were. And they had a question. They had, a, they had an argument. They had a, they had a biblical uh, theology they wanted to discuss and to fight over. And so everywhere he went, there they were. They were persecuting him. And so he decides to head back to Galilee, back to uh, his home, back to the area that he had grown up in, back to an area where, for the most part, he was received. Now, there was still opposition there, but he was received pretty well in Galilee. People would listen. Now, every Jew that took this trip knew that there was a crossroads they were going to come to. When they went from, from, from Jerusalem back to Galilee, there was a crossroad. And if you understand what a crossroad is, there, there's a stop sign. And you can go right, left, or straight ahead. And that's exactly what took place on the road that Jesus was on. Now, the Jews, as the text said, they didn't like the Samaritans. That's a nice way of putting it, okay? They hated the Samaritans. And what the text doesn't say is, guess what? The Samaritans hated the Jews. They hated each other. It was a racial thing. It was not, it was not just a dislike. It was a deep-seated racial hate of one another. And, and, and so they considered, the Jews considered the, the, the Samaritans unclean and worthless. They weren't just, the, if you touched one, you couldn't go to the temple until you did certain things. It made you unclean, unholy. And not only that, they felt like they were worthless. They were, they were good for nothing. In 722 B.C., 700 and, I don't know, 50 years before this event took place, the Assyrians had swept into, to, uh, into Israel. And if you understand Bible history a little bit, after Solomon, Solomon ruled a, a united kingdom of Israel. He ruled over 12 tribes. But when he died, his son took over. And his son decided he would institute some, some heavier-handed ruling. And what happened is the, the, the nation of Israel split. There were two tribes that were called Israel, or they were called Judah, Judea. And then the other ten tribes were the northern kingdom. So there was a southern kingdom and northern kingdom. The ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom went their way. They developed their own worship site. They did all kinds of things. If you read Kings, you get a 
you get a whole bunch of worthless kings, and most of them are from the northern kingdom, okay? You get a bunch of worthless kings in the southern kingdom as well. But the Assyrians sweep in about 722 B.C., and they destroy the northern kingdom. They carry off the, the artisans and the, the, the intelligentsia, the educated people. They kill most of the people. There, there was just a handful of people left. And these people were the poorest of the poor. They were, they were the tenant farmers, basically. Sharecroppers is, a, is something that maybe we would understand better. And they left them in the land just to make sure that the wild animals didn't overrun it. But what the Syrians would do and what the Romans did and what the Greeks did as well is they would, br- they would take people from other lands that they would co- had conquered. They would bring them into that land and they would repopulate it. And so what happened is pagans from all over the place came into northern Israel. And over time, they intermarried. And that's where the Samaritans came from. And so the Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds, as, as, as mixed-race people. And they had no use for them. They, they hated them, okay? They hated them. And so they avoided them at all costs. Now, the Samaritans had developed their own uh, translation of the Scripture, the Samaritan Pentateuch. They had, they had the first five books. They kind of went by it, but they had added some more to it. They had their own place of worship. And so you, you have competing religions in the nation that was once one. And whenever the Jews would travel north, they would avoid Samaria at all costs. And if you were a rabbi, a teacher, a religious person, there's no way you would come to the border and you would look, and there's no way you'd, you'd take a step over it. You would either turn to your left or you would turn to your right. And so, typically, what would have happened is they would have, they would have looked toward the I've got to get my left and my right, my east and my west correct here, okay? They would have looked to the east, and they would have thought, you know, we can take that, that route that goes along the Mediterranean Sea, and we can circle up that way. Or we can go to the west, and we can go down and cross the Jordan River and go up eastward along the side of the Jordan River, up through Perea, and we can get there. The only problem was that it took a lot of time. It took some extra time. How many of you realize that the, the shortest distance but, uh, is a straight line? Well... As Jesus gets to this crossroad, he doesn't do what other Jews would have done. If a Jew happened to go through Samaria, you know what he would do when he got to the other side and got ready and he would cross over? He would take his sandals off, he would knock the dust off, and he'd spit. That's how I'm, you, folks, racial tensions in the South can't compare with this, okay? We, we, we don't understand the context of what's going on a lot of times when we read these things. Uh, but they hated each other. And a, a religious, he'd spit. He would spit in contempt like he'd got dust in his mouth and he didn't want to carry any into his house. Well, when Jesus gets there and they stop at the stop sign and, and the disciples, you know, they're going, okay, which way? We're going left, we're going right. Jesus just keeps going. He goes straight across the border. Folks, listen to me. Jesus was not bound by insane racial tendencies, okay? And he wasn't bound by stupid religious tenets either. Jesus was on a mission. He was on a mission. He had a destination he had to go. He's headed for a collision. Whether he realized it or not, it was going to be a defining moment in God's schedule, and God had scheduled it for him. That's why I said, well, I go pay close attention to, to John chapter 4, verse 4, because it says he had to go through Samaria. Not geographically, not because he was, he was off his clock and, and his schedule was such. It's he had to go through there because God was driving him through. The Spirit of God was pushing him to an appointment. There was something ahead of him that he had to make. You ever f- felt that way? For, for no reason. I, I got to go here. I got to stop here. I don't, I don't know what it is. I got to talk to this person. It, it's the same thing. It was not divine. It was divine necessity, not geographic. 
It was a part of God's plan and His purpose. And folks, right now, God is moving things into your life, whether you realize it or not, and He's moving you into places. He's got places He's going to take you because He has an appointment with you. You have to go there, okay? And you can say, well, I have a choice. Okay, you just believe that. You may have a choice after you have that moment. But God's got some moments that no matter what, you're going to encounter. There's going to be a collision. So Jesus steps across the border. His disciples, you know, they're, they're where's he going? Why is he going that way? We could go, well, you know, I mean, they're arguing, but finally, you know, he's about 100 yards ahead of them, and it doesn't appear he's, he's, he's lost. Okay, he had, it's not that he hadn't counted the stop signs and missed one, okay? And they figure that out, and they go on with him. And about 15 miles from that, that intersection, straight ahead, is a little town called Sychar, or Sychar. And in that town li- lives a rather notorious woman. And we're not told her name, okay? The Bible does not give us a name. It just calls her the Samaritan woman. Now, I have a theory there, Okay? I have a theory that she could have just as well been a man or a woman. All right? And I also have another theory that she could be one of us. Or he could be one of us. I think that's why God leaves the name off. So that we can plug ourselves in. I would encourage as you as you read through scripture. Plug yourself into the places where the person is unnamed. And see if the situation, now I don't mean all the details, but the need, the help, the circumstances. See if they're not similar. And so here's this lady, and she's representative, I believe, of all of us. So this morning as we walk through this, just, you know, nobody's going to ask you to stand up and say, Hello, my name is, and I'm the Samaritan lady. You don't have to do that. But just imagine yourself in her place. Not her sin, necessarily, but in her place, okay? Now, I mentioned she's a little bit notorious, all right? And if you've read the story, you know why. But the reality is she's an outcast in her community, she is a untouchable in her community. She, no other woman in town will have anything to do with her. Okay? Nothing. She's by herself. Now, the other ladies gossiped about her. They cursed her. They spit on her. They threw rocks at her. And generally, they ignored her. Every one of them. She was by herself. It was as though she did not exist. Now, she'd made a few mistakes, okay? Let's just be honest. She'd made some bad choices. And Scripture says that uh, she had been married, and later Jesus would, would, would say this, she had been married five times. And she was currently living with a man that wasn't her husband. In other words, she was kind of test driving a model for number six, all right? Y'all say that all, we all say that all the time. It's like, a, okay, it's no different than the day that we live in. Do you realize, folks, that the majority of people in the American culture think that that's okay, and the majority of them live that way? They don't, in the church, they don't see any difference in that. And so, here's this woman, and she's had five husbands, and she's living with a, a, a sixth one. And the other ladies in town look at her, and they grab their husbands and their sons and their brothers, and they keep them away from her, okay? Let's just, let's just be real. What if your neighbor had been married five times? And currently she was looking for somebody else. Would you allow your husband to go out in the yard and work without you being out there? It's the same thing. See, the Bible's not far removed. Would you allow her to go over there and put a new light bulb in for Miss So-and-so? No, we wouldn't do that. The other women kept their husbands in a way, away because in their mind, this woman was a sexual piranha. She was an anomaly. She was a freak, okay? Let's just be honest. She was a freak in their culture. This is a culture 
that valued marriage. This is a culture that valued virtue and womanhood. This is a culture where they covered the wives and the ladies up, basically, you know, maybe a little more than what we see in the Mideast today with the, the square, but not a lot more. They wore veils, they wore coverings, they wore uh, robes, to their, to, they were covered totally up. Their hands and their feet stuck out. That's basically it. And so this was a culture that valued this. And she is, is off the rector scale, off the charts over here by herself. In their minds, in the minds of her neighbors, she did not exist. Okay, she didn't exist. The only problem is she did. She did. She was a person. And she was just like the other ladies in town. She felt pain. She experienced grief. When somebody hit her with a rock, guess what? She bruised and she bled just like they did. She was humiliated when somebody spat on her. She was heartbroken when they rejected her. And she was fearful when they called her names and threatened her. She had the same emotions every one of them had. She was like them, but they were not like her. Okay, you see what I'm saying? She had the, she, inside here, she was the same. She was the same. She had lived in a, lived in a prison, in a sense, built by a lifetime of bad choices. Okay, her past was always right here. Everywhere she went, she's reminded of it. She was crushed by a lifetime of sin. Just a, you know, you could add up her life by the stupid decisions she'd made. Okay, how'd she get there? You ever wonder that when you read things in Scripture? Jesus says, "You're right. You're not married. You've had five husbands, and the one you." currently living with not your husband how did she get there you ever wonder that i do I, I my mind just starts racing how in the world do you did she get to this place or or you know you, you read some of the other stories how did he get there you know i i just kind of begin to think maybe as a child maybe as a little bitty girl she was abused maybe uh you know she'd grown up without a, a daddy Maybe she didn't have a daddy in the home. Or maybe she had a daddy, but he was at home, but he wasn't home. He was there, but he was absent. Maybe she had a daddy that was hard and gruff and, 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 and didn't love her. Or didn't show any love. Maybe he was critical. Whatever it was, folks, here's the picture of her. She has a woman's body, but she's got the needs of a little girl. She just wants somebody to love her. She just wants somebody to accept her. She just wants to be a part of somebody's life. But her heart's unfulfilled. She just wanted to be loved for who she was, not condemned for what she had done. God, I'm glad God loves us for who we are and doesn't condemn us for what we've done. I really am. And that need that she had, folks, was unquenchable. See, we, we can't, if, if you had good parents, you had a good daddy, it, it's hard to grasp what she had experienced. She wanted to be loved so bad that she'd do whatever was necessary. Now, maybe her first husband died, Okay. Let's give her some, let's cut her a little slack here, okay? Maybe her first husband had died, all right? And she remarried a second husband. Or maybe he was a monster, okay? Guess what? That happens. Not every man's a good man. Not every woman's a good woman. And maybe she had to divorce him to stay alive. Now, I don't want to lay all the blame at her doorstep, okay? But let's just be real honest here. Five? Five? And working on number six, there's something wrong with her, okay? Let's just be honest. If Five times, there's something going on with her. And there's not a man alive today or then that could satisfy the love 
that she needed. Only God could satisfy it. There was nobody alive that could quench it. I mean, she's going through husbands like the black widow spider goes through mates, okay? If I painted the picture clear enough for you, you understand? I mean, she, she is what they say she is, but she's also one of them, all right? And folks, here's the bottom line. That's the way we all are. She's messed up. Amen? That's would be a good place to say amen. She's messed up. She has problems. But guess what? We're all messed up. And we all have problems. And here's a, here's a truth you can hold on to. Your sin or your problems may not be what hers was, but messed up is messed up. That's just the bottom line. So let's don't throw rocks at her. And what's missing really in her life is not a husband will take care of her. It's a relationship with God. Somebody who can love her just like she is. Somebody that doesn't need her to change to love her. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, guess what happens? It's high noon. Now, this just shoots through my mind. I watched too many westerns when I was a kid. It's high noon. There's going to be a gunfight, okay? This gunfight's taking place. Not in Dodge City. It's taking place at Jacob's Well. And so the sun is at the height. It's zenith for the day. And it's a little unusual for her to go get water at noontime. You see, it's the hottest part of the day. People go to get water early in the morning, late at night. Okay, that's when the community goes. The women of her community all went in the morning, but she couldn't go with them because it wasn't safe. And after a while, you just get tired of hearing, you, you, you get through, tired of dodging rocks and, and being called names and spit on. So it's just easier to keep your door locked until everybody's back at home and going about their business, and you slip out and go get the water. So everybody goes to get water early or late, but, but she grabs her bucket and a rope, and she heads for the well. Now, she can walk in peace. There's nobody going to be there. I mean, she's done this every day. Go get your water. You have to use the water to wash clothes, cook with, clean with, all the other things. And so she's on her way to the well by herself, or so she thought, okay? Because as she gets closer to, closer to the wall, she can see someone sitting on the well. The well had a curb around it. And so here was Jesus sitting on this wall. Now, Jesus is exhausted, okay? Folks, Jesus was a man. He was God, but he was a man. And in his humanity, he's worn out. They've walked probably five or six hours. And these are not easy roads. I mean, it's not, they don't have interstate systems. He wasn't galloping along on a, on a, flowing white steed with a mane and a big tail, he's walking in leather sandals. Okay, and he's walked mile after mile. He's exhausted. The disciples have gone to get some food. They've gone in town to buy some food. And so she gets to the well, and she sees somebody. And the closer she gets, she realizes that it's a man. Okay? But it, 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 she recognizes something. It's not a Samaritan. It's a Jew. And she realizes, how does she know that? Well, the way he's dressed. The way he's dressed. He has a prayer cloth, a prayer shawl, a talith is what they would call it. He has his prayer shawl on. So it's obvious. His, his, his robe has fringes on the corners. And she realizes that he's probably a rabbi. Do you know what? She expects nothing except to be ignored. And that's when all of a sudden, boom, there's a collision. She gets to the, to the well and she is dumbfounded because all of a sudden, here's what she hears in, in, in John chapter 4, verse 7. Give me a drink of water. Give me a drink of water. I mean, Jesus didn't yell it at her. He didn't, give me a drink of water. He just said, give me a drink of water. And she's dumbfounded, okay? 
Why? Because no rabbi, no Jewish rabbi ever spoke to a woman in public. All right? You, you understand what I'm saying? They didn't even talk to women, Jewish women in public, much less a Samaritan woman. Samaritan women were considered, how do I put it, to be perpetually unclean. Let that settle for a minute. They were untouchable. They were unclean, and they were eternally defiled. In essence, touching a Samaritan woman, well, there's no way to, there's no, there's no other description. If, if you touch something that was defiled, you could not go to worship for a set amount of time until you went through certain cleansing procedures, okay? To touch a Samaritan woman left you eternally defiled. Y'all beginning to y'all beginning to see the racial thing here? Okay. Now, to touch her or anything that she had touched, her water pot, I mean, she's if 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 he gets a drink from her, she's got to hand him something, okay? And so that would have been anathema in a sense for a Jew. Because they believed it would make them unclean. But but Jesus is more concerned about establishing a relationship even if it's at the expense of, of religious issues. Okay, y'all, y'all got that. Jesus is not into religion. All right? He's not into all the 10,000 rules the Jews had added to the law of God. Now, Jesus kept the law of God perfectly. But the Pharisees had added gobs. That's a Greek word for lots, okay, or an Alabama word for lots. Gobs and gobs and gobs of stuff. Now, this woman is dumbfounded. And if you read this, and you just read this casually, she's not speechless, though, okay? She, she doesn't know what to She's She's like she's been hit with a baseball bat, but, but she's still talking. And, and, and what transpires over the next few moments, in the next few minutes in this this story is literally a sarcastic expression of her pain and her frustration and her rejection and her fear. It all bubbles out. Jesus is the lucky guy who gets it, okay? It's a really a running battle of words so that she doesn't have to face the truth. You know, that's what we tend to do with God. We talk so we don't have to listen. But you know what? As you read this story, Jesus doesn't respond to her sarcasm. He never responds. He never argues with her. He just says things like this. He, he extends grace. He says in, in John chapter 4, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give it, have given you living water. I mean, he just drops that one right out there on the ground. And he would give you living water. You see, living water is symbolic of a new quality of a life that was available only through the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God had called himself a fountain of living water. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13, God had said, You know, my people have hewn out for themselves cisterns. And y'all know what a cistern is? A cistern is just basically a receptacle that you catch water in, and it sits. And it sits, and it sits, and it sits, and you use it as you need. It was necessary in that part of the world. But it was not free-flowing. It wasn't fresh. It wasn't living, as, as Jesus calls it. And God says, I'm, I'm living water, but my people, they'd rather have other things. And so they've cut cisterns out. They've traded me, the God who is living water, for stale water. I love what Jesus says in in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39. Just a few chapters over, he says this, If any man is thirsty, if any woman is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. He or she who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believed in him will receive. Jesus is offering everything that he is to this woman in exchange for what she is. Do you see that Jesus is going here, take this, 
and I'll take that. I'll take number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and all the garbage that number six brought with him. I'll take the stuff that you didn't get or that you did get when you were a child. I'll take that. I'll take all the rocks and all the spit and I'll take all the wounds and all the bruises and all the names you've been called and all the gospel. I'll take that. Here, you take a drink. That's what's taking place in this transaction. He's giving her all that he is in exchange for all that she is. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty this morning? Maybe you're parched by the experiences of your life. See, Jesus is offering you a breathtaking moment at this moment, just like he offered her. That must have took her breath away when he said that. I'll take all that you are. I'll give you all that I am. Even Stephen. No fine print. How many of y'all like fine print? I'll do this, but not this, 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 not this. That's on all your warranties. That's on all your insurance. That's on all the other stuff that we buy. But Jesus, there's no fine print. I'll take that. You take this. Even Stephen. Now listen, you may not know Jesus this morning. Or you may have known him for years and years and years. But you know what? The reality is the same. We're all thirsty. And he's the only one who can quench that thirst. This woman is living. Don't forget this. She's living with a guy. She's been married five times. And Jesus offers her this. This is what amazes me. He offers her this without demanding any change in her life. You read this and tell me if I'm not correct in that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, get away from Bubba. Get on your own, and I love you. He doesn't say that. He says, here. It's an exchange. There's no, there's no parameters around. There's no rules. There's no if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. Listen to me. All you have to do is reach out and take what he's giving. If you don't know him, you just reach out. You don't have to get good enough. You don't have to stop this or, or stop that or change this. You just come to Jesus. And the sad thing is most of us who know Jesus are still living that way. Well, if I just pray longer, if I could just read my Bible longer, God, I've got to go to church today. I've got to be there. If I'm not there, God won't check that off my list and He won't love me. Folks, that's not the God of Scripture. That's the God of religion. Because that's what religion is. Check, 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 check. And at the end of the day, you have a page full of check marks. You have nothing to drink. And you're still thirsty. And folks, all Jesus wanted from her was for her to trust just to trust Him. If she trusts Him, you know what's going to happen? The way she lives will change. He will change it. She won't have to. He living in her will help her make better decisions. He living in her, she'll make the right decisions. She won't be guided by the, those hungers that are within her that she can't quench because He will have quenched those hungers. And she'll make good decisions. And her way of living will change. And folks, that's all God wants from all of us. He just wants us to trust Him. Or if you want to put it this way, put our faith in Him. He just wants us to trust Him. He's the one who changes us. And folks, when it happens, He fills us up with living water. Now, this woman is just like all of us, okay? You say, well, I don't think she is. And besides that, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Yeah, 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 I hear you talking, preacher, but you know what? You don't know what I've done. Listen to me. It does not matter to Jesus what you have done or where you have been. He wants to change you right where you are today. That's how much He loves you. 
And so this woman, instead of going, yes, you know what she does? She does exactly what most of us do when we get pushed into that corner by God and there's no way out. She does her best to change the subject. Jesus wants to talk about living water. And, you know, she wants to go somewhere else. And so Jesus just politely says, go get your husband. Mm-mm. And she goes, I don't have a husband. Now, you've you got to be honest. That's a pretty smart answer, right? What? How does he know anything? He's never met me before. But all of a sudden, she's busted, okay? Just to put it bluntly. He goes, I know. You've spoken the truth. You don't have a husband. You've had five. <laughs> now, he didn't say it like that. He just, he says, I know. You spoke. He tells her, you have spoken the truth. You've had five. And the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Kaboom. I mean, she's like this up there, okay? She's, I mean, she is, she, there's nothing to hide. He knows everything about her. I got to change the subject. You ever been in that position? Uh-oh, we got, ooh, I got to do something here. And so she, 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 religion, yeah. We'll talk about religion because you know what? I'm a Samaritan, he's a Jew. We don't agree on anything. We can argue a little bit. I get him off this subject, we'll have to deal with that. And so, you know, she starts to go off on religion and worship. And folks, it's, it's stupid questions. You ever done stuff like that? Uh, we have. We have. We want to argue with God. We want to ask stupid questions that have no real concern for answers. I've, 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 I've shared the gospel with people. And you could tell God's working in their life. And you can tell the Holy Spirit's moving. And they've hit that place where, oh my gosh, I'm backed into a corner. Now, it's not me, because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do that stuff. I'm not, i got to get a scalp here, get somebody to profess Christ. We've got to pray a prayer or nothing. I just don't do that. I believe that I share the gospel. Jesus Christ saves the person. But I've seen people do this over and over and over. I've seen people who are saved when they're confronted with their sin do this over and over and over. It's what we all do. We want to argue with God. We want to ask some outlandish question. Well, tell me, where did Cain's wife come from? How did Noah get dinosaurs on the ark? Y'all have heard these questions? How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Y'all laugh at that, but that's what the theologians in the 1500s were arguing over. How many Angels can dance on the head of a pen. Do we use pianos and organs or, God forbid, guitars, drums, and keyboards? Do we sing hymns or choruses? That's the stupid stuff that we argue over. And that's what she wanted to argue over. You know what? Jesus is not here and he wasn't there to answer stupid questions. You say, Nelson, that's really blunt. Well, that's just the way it is. He's not here to answer stupid questions because those stupid questions are really smoke screens for our unbelief and our desire to be independent. And that's, he's got her, she's in a corner. God has put his arms out. There's nowhere for her to go. And she's doing everything she can to get away. Folks, I, I love to watch swimming in the Olympics. And if she had been in the Olympics, she would have been a gold medal backstroker, okay? Because she is doing everything she can at this moment to get away from this man. But she can't outswim him. She can't get away from him. So, you know what she does? She brings up the one thing that they'll agree on, and hopefully she can get on back to town without any water. She brings up the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah. You know, the Samaritans also believed that the Messiah was going to come. They really believed that. And so she starts on this thing about the Messiah. And you know what Jesus does? If you've read Scripture very carefully, what he says ought to blow your mind. Okay? In John 4.26, Jesus reveals to her what he has never revealed to any else he's never just come out and said it to anybody this is not a Jew 
Okay, this is not one of the rabbis at the temple. This is not one of his disciples. This is this is nobody in his ethnic whatever. This is a Samaritan woman. Okay, and Jesus says to her, she says, "Well, what about the Messiah? What about this? What about that? You know, we believe he's coming. What about it?" And Jesus goes, "This is what he says to her in John chapter four, verse twenty-six: I who speak to you am He." Now, I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. They just say it. I am the Messiah. Well, at that moment, there's no more fight left in her. There's no argument. There's nothing. It's like she's been run over. Okay? I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you have been waiting for. I'm the only one who can meet your need. And I'm standing right here. And I'm offering you living water. Wham! A divine appointment has occurred. And folks, you know what happens? Her life is changed forever. She leaves the well. If you read the rest of the story. She leaves the well, and she leaves her water pot. Okay, Now, I believe she threw the, threw the water pot into the well, drew it up, gave Jesus a drink, and just left. You know what she does? She goes back to her village. The village where everybody threw rocks at her, spit on her, and ignored her. And all of a sudden, she is preaching on every street corner. She's drawing a crowd. It's like Billy Graham's come to town. I'm serious. If you read this story with, with real reality eyes, I mean, they're all turned out, and they've all listened to her, and now they've gone to see him. And the Bible says he spends two days there. Folks, this wasn't a chance encounter. It was a divine appointment staged by God. And this woman responded to it. She didn't ignore her opportunity. She embraced it. Now here's the bottom line. From time to time, every one of us are going to have similar encounters with Jesus. You mean I'm going to meet him at the well? Probably not. Okay, You're probably not going to meet a Jewish rabbi with a prayer shawl over his head, with that nice beard, and those blue eyes that you see in all the pictures. You're probably sitting in sandals with a long robe. You're probably not going to meet. I'm not going to say you won't, but you're probably not going to meet him. But I tell you what you will meet. You know what? He may appear as a panhandler with his hand out. He may be an elderly person sitting on a bench all by themselves. Might be a lost child in a department store. And nothing breaks my heart more than a baby looking for his mama or a mama looking for her baby, okay? I've been in that situation. It's panic, okay? I just, that's just the only feeling I can describe it. But it might be that. It, it might be that talkative person ahead of you at the Walmart line that wants to share everything that's ever happened in their life. Y'all know who I'm talking about. We'll pray for you if you're that person. But it may be. It, it may be a, a, somebody hitchhiking needs a bus ticket. It may be in a medical emergency on a Sunday morning. You know what? God forbid this, but it may be a mass marketer on the phone. Maybe. Probably won't be, but it may be. Or it may just be that kid with a hundred questions. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, Why? 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 And that moment, that moment I'm talking about, it may come in the words of a song. It may come in the words of, of, of a prayer. You may hear it in a sermon. It may be a story you read on television or you see on TV or read out of a book. It may be a doctor's diagnosis. It may be a note card from a friend. You know what? Living water flows in different directions, in different ways, at different speeds, in different places. So it doesn't always have to come dressed like you think it should. See, she, her living water that day didn't come dressed like she thought it would. 
That wasn't what she was expecting when she got to that well. She expected to be ignored. Like she wasn't even there. That day in Samaria, her encounter uh, didn't go like she thought it would. He didn't come dressed like she thought he would. And you know what? She got hung up on what she assumed rather than what was. And I don't have to tell you what happens when you assume something. Enough said there. It works. Listen to me. Jesus is offering the same water He offered to her, to anybody who's thirsty this morning. No matter what's happened in your past, no matter what's happening right now at this moment, or what's going to happen in the days to come. He's offering living water no matter what has caused your thirst. Life's not measured by the number of breaths you take. It's not measured by what you do or don't do. It's measured by the moments that take your breath away. And Jesus majors in breathtaking moments. His desire is to take our breath away and give us His breath, His Spirit. Okay? And when we stop living on our own breath and what we can do or can't do, and we start living on His breath, who His Spirit is, Folks, the potential is endless. He wants you to experience abundant life. He wants you to drink. He doesn't want you just to get a sip. He wants you to, well, i got to be careful what I say here. He wants you to chug it, okay? I'll just put it that way. Turn it up and gulp it. You ever been so thirsty, man, you just, that's what he wants. And your glass won't run out. It won't ever run out. You can drink as much as you want. You can sip it through a straw very daintily, or you can chug it either way. But it will change your life. But here's what you have to do. You have to give your water pot to Jesus. You have to just surrender. You don't need to ask stupid questions. Although questions are okay, but not at that moment. You don't, you just, you know, you don't have to run anymore. And if you'll just stop, he'll fill you up. And here's what will happen. You will overflow. And that overflow will change everything around you. It will change the people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you're crossways with, the people that you work with, your family members, people you don't even know. Listen, when you have the the Spirit of God flowing out of you, people recognize it, and they are drawn to it. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14. And I close with this. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up. You see, Jesus just doesn't give you a cup of water. He places the water in you. And that water is a well. Literally, it's an artesian. That's, that's the idea, an artesian well. One of the, the most amazing things I can ever remember seeing in my life, I've only seen one, was my mother had a friend in college. And uh, when they graduated, mother went her way, this lady went her way, but they kept in touch. And, and this lady lived in Florida on the way to Panama City. And I can remember... The first time we went to Panama City, we stopped and stayed at their house. And we went somewhere, and we pulled off the road, and there was, an art, there was water bubbling up out of the ground. And everybody stopped there to get some. That's the picture of this. Jesus says, I am living water. And if you will receive me, if you'll take what I'm giving and give me all that you are, I won't just quench your thirst. I'll put a well of water in you that won't ever away folks that's a deal you can't get anywhere else no one else will give you that but Jesus offers that to all of us this morning whether you know him or not whether your life's going smoothly or whether it's in shambles whether you're doing what you're supposed to be or you're doing whatever the offer is the same Accept what I'm giving 
and give me what you're holding on to. See, we have to release to take hold of. You understand that? Now, you can't do it like this. You have to do this. That's all Jesus wants this morning. If you'll do that, listen to me, it will be a breathtaking moment. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.